Hello, I'm Katie Jarvis. This week, Real Foot Forward is made possible by our friends at CrossFit Auto Body, located in Union City. CrossFit Auto Body is the perfect place to begin your fitness journey. Come in and become part of the CrossFit community. Visit uccrossfitautobody.com for more information. Have you ever met someone who could just pick up an instrument and play as if they have had years of experience? Micah Barnes tells Scott what it was like to be in a band in Nashville, what led him to a career in graphic design, as well as what brought him back home to West Tennessee. I'm Scott Williams. Welcome to Real Foot Forward, where every week we explore the culture the spirit, the accomplishments, and the heritage of West Tennessee, just like we do every single day here at our museum and Heritage Park in Union City. I have an extra creative special guest today with Micah Barnes, who joins us. He is an artist, illustrator, photographer, musician. He is one of the most creative people I know here in Northwest Tennessee, and he also brought his brother-in-law and sister who had such a great time when we did their podcast that they've come to join him during his welcome Micah. Thanks for having me. Thank so um, <laughs> tell me, uh, first of all, I want to go back to the beginning. Tell okay. me about little Micah. Okay. And you're obviously now you're super creative. You're doing all kinds of fun things. How did all that get started? How far back do you want me to go? All to the beginning. The beginning? To the womb. I was born in a small town. <laughs> uh, my roommate, one of my many roommates uh-huh. here, and uh, what, 72, grew up here close to Real Foot Lake out in what we call the Dixie community. And uh, yeah, went to, you know, did the what you expect around here, went to the, the local school, local high school, went off to college. Now, uh, were you were you one of the kids who were, were you like duck hunting and no? Or were you a little no. bit more of a creative kid w- from the I beginning? Was, I was an indoors kind of person. Can I interject yeah. one thing? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I, I have to share this. So, Micah's bedroom when he was a child, and I don't know how long this lasted. Do y'all remember the game Mousetrap? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was Micah's room. There were gadgets on the walls. Uh, even as, even as a little kid, as a he child. Was, so I had to interject that. Uh, you can have yeah, that. no, that's that. Yeah. It's always good to have a sister interjecting yeah. a family member. <laughs> also, if you start to, if you start right. to lie, uh-huh. you know, yeah, she'll right. call right. you on it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Essentially, my life has continued to be one big Rube Goldberg machine. So <laughs> that's, that's what it is. So, so you were raised near here, yes, Real, Real Foot correct. Lake, yes. in a in a culture where people are, you know, a lot of duck hunting going yes. on, and but yeah. you didn't really jive with that. Nothing for it. Okay, so, and so no you went to high school. I, yeah, I did over here at Central. They when I was at Central, um, I'd started. Uh, I, I guess my uh, initial real foray into music and arts and stuff. I, I started playing guitar. I my senior year at school there, I was in the uh, the band, but I was in the marching band helping the color guard to get out of uh, study hall. I'd never. I couldn't find something to. <laughs> to do and they put me in a study hall I'm like well this this is no good and then the band director walks in and says hey we need help like anything to get me out of here so I helped out the color guard so I spent half the year helping the color guard anyhow the uh, at the end of that he's like well you got to go back to study hall there's nothing to do the second semester of school unless you learn an instrument 
So I had a couple of weeks to pick up a trumpet and I came back and played trumpet for the rest of the semester and got my scholarship to go play horn and I played trumpet and trombone primarily uh, to help out with school when I went there, but I, I decided I really liked that. I mean, there's a lot music. of people that you, you started playing pretty close to the time you went to college to get scholarships, so you obviously picked it up really quickly. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, part of it, you know, obviously there's an aptitude, but there's also, I'd had a background at least a little bit. We had, when we were young, there was a, a spate of piano lessons that lasted until the teacher got tired of me kicking the piano while I was sitting at it and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it wasn't until high school that I really like developed an interest in playing music of any sort. And uh, like I said, I, a little bit of, I didn't hear it. Uh, the, uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, messing around with the guitar. And then like I said, with the horn there. But I mean, if you, you were good enough, so you got a scholar and where did you go? I went over to Martin. To Martin, to UT Martin. Yeah. Okay. And at that point, the that was like, I might as well have gone to Berkeley. You know, that was like way out there. I, uh, not a lot. Of, we grew up in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, and uh, uh, so I'd never really traveled anywhere, never, and didn't know much about anything of the outside world. So it was just, you know, if you're going to go to college, you go over there, and uh, that's what I did, and that just kind of started branching out, like, oh, there's the world's larger. Oh yeah, and, you, you know, see, were exposed to things, yeah. and that's what's great about UT Martin is they yeah. really do a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. getting kids overseas, and sure. traveling, and, and then you know, I, I don't even know now. Uh, it was really the the foreign exchange program there was amazing, and they still I think sort of ride that uh, that sort of history that they built for themselves. They've established themselves so well. They've maintained their really good relationship with so many countries, swapping out students there. Yeah, we exchange is the word. They yeah, use, they but ex- we exchange like the swap, students. Swap yeah. students. Yeah, yeah. I talked to some not too long ago who yeah. were visiting here who were from uh, China or Japan right. or you know somewhere. It was really they were J- really Japan was massive exchange program when I was there uh, between Korea, South Korea and Japan. Uh, and now it's uh, a lot more from the Saudi countries. Uh, the The ratios change. I think if I remember correctly, the, the, the king gave some money to anybody that wanted to go study abroad right. and we were very quick to go here. Right. Yeah. Now what, what was your major? Music. Okay, and just in general music? Uh, no, uh, guitar performance, okay. and then specifically on bass guitar. And then what did you do with that? I uh, went into graphic design. As <laughs> 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 uh, I, I, soon as I graduated, I, I played with uh, a group of people, uh, a group called 27B Stroke 6, uh, our percussionist, Julie Hill, you know, and uh, we all got a place together in, in near uh, in Hendersonville, near Nashville, and uh, we just you know played and did our thing as musicians. And that being going to Nashville, suddenly the world got that much bigger again, and started getting involved with everything else going on there. Uh, other groups, other musicians, and and traveling around with different people. And but you know when you're a musician, that means usually you got to go get a job to pay for your musicianship. So I I, uh, I started on with my cousin uh, Laura and Britt. Uh, my cousin Britt was a graphic designer, so I went there to work at his business with him and help out. It just so happens if you're a musician, you also have to learn how to do everything else, which right. is like be your own graphic designer because you can't afford one. And when we lost one of our graphic designers, they said, "Hey, 
we heard that you do graphic design as well. Could you help out with that? So I shifted gears from doing like whatever installs I was doing. When in the graphic design world was this? Is this like pre-Mac? Or, so this is post-Macintosh. Those were yes, out. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you would sit there and, and you'd really have to just make sure everything was lined up because doing a print would be eight hours to get this large-scale print. You know, today it's just like you hit it and right. there's a big print. But back then you really had to think about, you know, okay, is everything set and, and hopped up the way we want it to be? Do we have all the the ink's filled up because if we, anything crashes, we're going to have to restart all of this. And, right. and back then it was this transfer process. I'm sure this is stuff you really want to know about. But yeah. No, this is know, great. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's we interesting. You print backwards in yeah. reverse CMYK order and then heat transfer that over to a vinyl substrate mm-hmm. and then laminate. But it, the, back, back <laughs> even, even, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Right. You know, I mean, the, the uh, technology has changed so oh, yeah. dramatically. Yeah, we had a we had a warehouse where most of our actual fabrication was going on and a few blocks over on 8th Street in uh, Nashville, we had our main office where you if you wanted to buy something you came in there and talked to the salespeople. They would get files at the sales office and we would need them over at the warehouse where we were producing. And today you would just go click send it. Back then, somebody had to drive over there. Mm-hmm carry you a big zip disk. Right. Oh, yeah. No, Because they would hold like 100 gig. I mean, 100 megs. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I've worked at a place where we had them all lined up. Yeah. Grab a few. Make sure there's nothing on them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you couldn't keep a lot on the hard drive itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got several hard drives that I just can't bear to throw away. Old Apple. (laughs) They're in the the attic. But, you know. You're a, yeah, cyber, I need to. you're a cyber hoarder. That's yeah, I am. I am. I have a hard time letting... We'll bring I think, them over. We'll transfer them all to one, you know, uh, four I've done ter- it. I've uh, transferred them over. I just still feel like there may be something on nope. that hard drive that I need. Yeah, there may yeah. be. And you'll yeah. never go back and, and I'll find never out. go back. Right. Yeah. It's in a st- we pay for a storage facility. It'll be that, that last in. joke on your kids when yeah. they go through. What <laughs> is right. all this stuff? What is this gigantic yeah. old-timey computer yeah. for? <laughs> so now, um, at some point or another, you never left music completely behind, right? Far from it. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point, I'm waiting for us to talk about Bocadelic Funky Talk. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, fast forward. The band moves down to Murfreesboro. Uh, we're all getting involved with different, uh, uh, just all different avocations in life. And, and uh, the band 27, 27B Stroke 6, uh, that we had moved to Nashville with, we put the pause button on, and uh, we all were in different groups. And I went out and decided at this point, I'm going to start a group. This is my group. I played in other groups for other people or with other people sort of democratically, but this was going to be an autonomous thing. This is what I want to do. And if you want to be in the band, you're going to do what I want to do. And that's that was the approach. But it was called Colossal Head. We had to come up with some way to express what it sounded like. And so... We use Vocadelic Funky Tonk. And, uh, and so elaborate on what exactly is that? Well, it, it just spanned a few different genres. Uh, it was more about the vibe of the group. The, the instrumentation at the time was uh, at a gig. When I showed up to a gig, my instruments, I would carry a, a banjo, a cavaquinho, a guitar, electric piano, and a Moog synthesizer. And that was fairly standard fare to like have all those sounds together, you know, and the guitarist was also playing mandolin half the time. And so we got uh, a nice texture that was a little bit novel, I guess, for especially what, what was going on around the area. You didn't get to hear 
all of those instruments typically in the same band. And it was just kind of fun, upbeat stuff. Yeah, so through all that, through everything you did, you um, experienced the world at some point. That's my slice of it, yeah. You've yeah. come back. Right. And so what was the motivation to come back to this well. region? And, you know, you, you could have gone to L.A. or New okay. York. or I'll Throw you a curveball. Uh, so I, I'm still there uh, working graphic design and playing music, and I get a call that back home they're building a museum. Back home being here, Albion County, right, right. And Mr. Kirkland needed someone to. Spoiler alert! It was Discovery Park. Oh, uh, the cats out of the cats out of the bag. Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Kirkland needed someone to do 3D modeling, uh, essentially, in order to have conversations on developing Discovery Park. They wanted to be able to make a virtual tour of the facilities prior to going out and dropping a bunch of money and building a thing, uh, lots of time and labor and resources. So we would, uh, I would get uh, architecturals, build virtual versions of whatever the building was, like that the church there that we got or building that the, the train depot, and we would place it and see that, oh, the dimensions sounded good, but when you do it in real world, it's it's a really narrow patio. Let's widen that up 16 feet. Now it's got a little bit more elbow room, little things like that. And so a number of buildings during meetings, we would place them as per specification and then realize that, oh, this is going to obfuscate your view. You know, let's turn this building a little bit, move it here. Well, you know, 3D, it's everyday thing now, but back then it was still a little bit novel to have that sort of So, So facility. I'm curious... So he had an architectural firm that he had hired. Mm-hmm. Surely they had that. Did they not have they, that, or did he they, choose to go to his hometown well, guy? There, uh, at the time, especially, I don't know how things are now, but uh, you had two aspects of Discovery Park. You had the museum proper, mm-hmm. and then you had the cortilage, which is all of the grounds around it. And we call that the Heritage Park. Yes, so uh, you've got all these buildings coming in and that was not really under the scope of oh. what those people were going to be doing. Didn't realize that. Uh, yeah. And they were focused on museum, how to set up attractions, how to set up booths and, you yeah. know, they, all, all the things you, when you get into a business, you have to yeah. know how things do. They might've had a general concept of what we were doing outside the museum building, but by and large, it was a, a handful of people sitting in an office building in a little trailer on the yeah. side of the and who were the, who was who was in the do you remember the people so my hierarchy would have been right above me was uh at the time rob uh, uh kingry and right above him was uh polly who's okay. still here yeah and uh and i guess she would have answered directly to mr kirkland mm-hmm. and then uh tangentially there was uh kim cruz was here somewhere in the nearing orbit was uh, Jennifer Wilds. We would like intersect because she was at a different location and, you know, like shooting emails, like factor this in. I, you know, I honestly don't remember what all yeah. everybody was doing. I just basically came in every day that I was here with uh, s- some spec sheets and sit at a computer and build whatever it was. Or we'd go out to site and look at these buildings before we brought uh, some of these buildings over to the local site, like these log cabins that church, whatever, I would go measure them, build a virtual version of it, 
plop it down into my virtual world that I'd built that is the Discovery Park. And, that's, and then Mr. Kirkland, he would he would make comments and look at right, it. Right, yeah, and, he would have know. his sheets, you yeah. know, they're built as per his verbal specifications, yeah. and then he would see it and be like, oh, no, that doesn't work like that. Let's, right. you know, I, oh, the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, where the paintings are. Uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah, that's all right. So he, when he originally built it or, or uh, requested design for it, it was much shorter. It was basically a ground floor kind of building. Okay. He's like, well, that, has, that doesn't have the impact, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, let's raise it up. So we're sitting there in, in, in meeting. Everybody's looking at a big screen with my designs as I'm designing right there. And it's like, can we make that four feet taller? Okay, bring it up four feet. Oh, now it's got the visual impact that I want yeah. to have. Let's put a staircase out in front of it and widen it up. So uh, he was yeah. really hands-on. Yeah, yeah. I've had uh, you know, one of my favorite memories of him is him lying in the floor in my office trying to do a, a pose of Prometheus <laughs> and he's totally in his own world. You could tell he just like miles away. He's like, okay, what I'm thinking is we're going to have this statue and Prometheus is going to be sitting like this and he's going to have his arm up like that. Should he be looking up? Should he be looking? Of course, he's down on the floor the whole time. And then finally, he's just like, he had this sudden awareness of like, you know, he cuts his eyes at me. He's like, seem to have this... I don't. I wouldn't say self consciousness about him, but realize how far he'd gone into his own world. And then he stands back up, and you know, we're gonna talk about this. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, that was uh, that's what it was like dealing with him on a daily basis. So you've you've had um, great creative success on the music side and on the graphic design side. Which do you have a preference on which you like the best? Ah, uh, boy, that's a a daily. Question changes. With and so you cur- so you currently you uh, teach at you know I teach you, over at the university. Teach. I teach a recording technologies course uh, primarily for music students, uh, and I teach applied guitar and bass. Uh, what else do I do? And you still you still play I, too because I see you around town, right? And, and know, I'm, I'm performing. like the token bass player in here. Uh, we're trying to grow some more, but right now, like uh, every time something's happening and a bass player is needed, uh, I end up. Playing a gig. So what? What is the? Is that the benefit? You're obviously being. You're a very creative person, obviously, and so you're living in this rural community where there are probably a little less opportunities to be creative than if you were in maybe L.A. or New York. You know, it, it, what is the benefit? Why, why stay close to home? Well, I mean, this is where my family is. So I mean, that's the the long and short of it. You know, this is uh, uh, about the time when I came back. My brother-in-law went off and bought a nursery, and uh, uh, and I was spending half of my week here, half my week in Nashville. I had my studio there, uh, and and he said, "Well, I've got this place. Maybe we could use your services here uh, between the, doing the the layouts and design. Because when we go out and do a job, uh, when people come in uh, wanting to get landscaping done." Sometimes it's a larger project. They want to see the end result before they get started because, you know, they're dropping some money on this and they want to know that we're all talking about the same thing. Right. And so we started applying that. But my studio was in Nashville and and Charles says, well, why don't you bring it here and see how that goes? (laughs) So I did. And, and, you know, it's very different template here, uh, what goes on. And then you had had, or you may still have a production studio at the Garden Center right. called so at Bronze. The back of Soleil, Bronze Recording there. Yeah. I've, uh, I've got the back portion of that. I've got a 30 by 35 foot tracking room in addition to my mix room, the control room. So pretty, 
you know, fairly full-fledged uh, multi-track studio, uh, good mic locker and preamps and all that stuff. If you're, you know, if you're into recording, that means something. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, whereas in Nashville, it was largely getting these bands coming in, wanting to track their album or whatever, or songwriters. I'm a utility player, so songwriters would come in. I would work with them on arranging songs. And then they would just leave me alone in the studio and I would go track out all the parts and make the songs so they could flesh them out and pitch them or whatever they did. So I'd you know, play the drums, play the bass, play the piano, play the, stack up all these instruments, do backing vocals, and they'd come in, sing on it, and do whatever they would do with it. Or, like I said, bands come in. Now, when I came back here, there's a little bit of that, but more of it is people coming in uh, saying, I've got old cassettes and he transferred to digital. I've yeah. got uh, some old VHS or things of that nature, or I'm going to sing me along with pre-recorded tracks. Yeah. I don't have a band per se. I've just got karaoke tracks. So. And then and then now you also have a, a little kid, right? That, uh, Dose. Two little kids. Oh, yeah, two yeah, of them so now. You've got, so you've got you know more motivation to right. stay close to home where you have built-in right. babysitters. And that's, that's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Uh, so that, as you know, changes every dynamic of, of everything in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Well, thank you for being here today. I know a lot of people see you all over town on stage because I see everywhere I go, <laughs> if there's a band, I know you're going to we'll be come out tonight. I'll be there. playing Cavaquinho, playing Brazilian shorter music over at the Historic Ends. <laughs> I, I will absolutely be there. Thank you. <laughs> and now let's go find out a little bit more behind the scenes at Discovery Park of America. I'm Andrew Gibson with the Education Department here at Discovery Park of America, and today we have a special treat for you all. I am with Corbin Eckberg, a docent here and also our pottery instructor, who will be sharing with us more about what exactly it takes to run a pottery class and some of the different tools and techniques we use in the class and just some of the science that goes uh, kind of behind the scenes. Uh, so, Corbin, how are you? I'm doing fine, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, so, for all of our listeners and myself, let's let's just dive right into it. Um, the pottery class, where do we start? What's the first thing we do when we walk in? So, definitely the first thing that I sit down and teach the people, the first thing I teach them is, one, I know you're probably going to get frustrated, but try not to. Because what I tell people, I've been doing pottery for about three years. But what I like to say is I've been learning how to do pottery for three years because you never stop learning pottery. It's something once you pick up, you're going to constantly learn new techniques, different techniques, different ways to do stuff, different comfort levels with your pottery. So it's something you really never stop learning. And then after that, we get into kind of the actual technique behind it. I like to do a demonstration and then tell them, this is how I like doing it, but you guys are probably going to find a way to do what I'm doing that you're a lot more comfortable with and that works better for you. So when we, when we sit down, um, what, is, what are we sitting down at? So we're sitting down on a little stool, and in front of us is the pottery wheel. It's called the pottery wheel because it's literally a circle that just spins around in a circle. The clay goes in the center of it, and that's how you can mold it with your hands. You kind of let it spin around in between your hands, and all your movements affect the clay. If every little tiny twitch of your hands kind of moves it around. So do we use a certain type of clay here? The clay we use here, I believe, is earthenware. Uh, earthenware, it's a lot easier to work with. It's used for functional pottery. It can hold liquid a lot better, especially after being fired. And it's a lot more durable than, say, porcelain. You just mentioned fired. What do you mean fired? 
So firing is what we say when we take the finished product after it dries out for about a week and we put it into the kiln. We call it fired because that pot has to get really, really hot before it hardens up into a stone-like cup. And do we just put, or are we done at that point after it's, after it's been fired or, or what happens after that? So usually at that point, we're not considered done. Some people do like that to be the last stage so that they can hand paint it. The problem with hand painting it is you're not going to be able to put anything wet inside that cup like water, coke, coffee. So then we have to actually glaze it to make it a fully functional pot at that point. So glazing it, what's, what's the process with that? So glazing, all that is, the basic concept is it's what I like to call liquid glass. It's just this liquid, all the different chemicals mixed up with some water. You dip the pot in there. When you take it out, you let that dry, you fire it again, and then it gets this nice glassy gloss substance over it. It feels just like glass. Does the liquid glass just dry on its own or how does that work? So after you dip it in the glaze, fire it, it's considered finished because then that's when it gets that glassy around it, that glassy look around it. And after that, you could actually put liquids inside of it. All right. Well, Corbin, thank you so much for, for coming on today and, uh, and sharing more about what pottery is. Uh, one little thing before we finish and wrap up, uh, you can meet Corbin. You can find Corbin teaching classes here at Discovery Park of America. We have a monthly pottery class. Join us here. Come to a pottery class. Make memories with us. And we hope to see you here at Discovery Park of America. Thank you for listening to Real Foot Forward. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. Plan your own adventure to see beyond at Discovery Park of America by visiting discoveryparkofamerica.com. Be sure to also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates.